I could not imagine living anywhere else. I wouldn't swap my underground home for any other home in Australia. There you are. Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donahue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. January, do you consider yourself a claustrophobic person at all? Uh... I am actually. The thought of small spaces does terrify me a little bit. I have actually been caught in a lift before and that was a very unpleasant experience. How long were you stuck in the lift? Probably about two hours it took for the technician to come out. So how would you go living underground? Look, I'm not sure. I think... I am sure. I think I know how you'd go. (laughs) What about you, Rose? Um, I'm not claustrophobic, but I am fascinated by our guest today's living situation. I would be very keen to see what it was like. I don't know how I'd go. Yeah, well, definitely. So today we're talking to Opal Miner and Cooper PD resident John Dunstan. For the past 51 years, John has lived in the small desert town, which is an eight-hour drive from the nearest city and boasts the world's largest opal mine. Cooper Peaty is also famous for having half its residents live underground. John, welcome to the podcast. How is everybody today? We're doing well, thank Very you. Very well, thanks, John. Now, John, That's are, good. are you actually calling us from underground right now? No, I'm, I'm talking to you from our business in the main street, but I do live underground. Right, so you're calling us from your uh, Opal shop, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got a business in the main street called John and Yoka's Opal and Art. And uh, my wife runs the shop and I go out and do the mining. Fantastic. And John, tell us about the time that you found an $85,000 opal in your home. Yeah, that was when I was building my home. Uh, That was in the early 90s. We built a really large underground home because I had three of my children living at home then. And we just wanted to give them some space. So we built an extra lounge and a games room and all that sort of thing, you know. And while I was building, I did actually find quite a bit of opal. Uh, I finished tunneling out the kitchen area with the tunnel machine and my wife said to me, she says, have you put the pantry in yet? And I said, no, I haven't, but there is room for a pantry. So the next day we swung around with the tunnel machine and uh, found 70000 bucks building the pantry. So how good was, good was that? So it was, was it was a one huge opal? <laughs> No, it was a cluster of opalized shells. Oh, wow. And so did you know, yeah. when you found it, did you sort of know what it was worth, being an opal miner? Uh, we could see it was good, you know, it was going to be worth a lot of money, but you didn't know how much until you cleaned it all up. <laughs> wow, that and, is a um, luck, that's a lucky find. That could have paid yeah. for um, furnishing the new rooms. Well, it helped. It sort of helped. <laughs> And um, then I thought, oh, maybe before I put the concrete on the kitchen floor, I better get the two-inch wide drill and drill down into the floor. And when I did that, I hit another pocket of shells that I got $10,000 for. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you were essentially mining in your own home. (laughs) Yeah, unintentionally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, for people who don't know, can you explain to us how homes are built underground in Coober Yep, you you pick out a hill, you cut a face against it with a bulldozer, so you you can tunnel straight in 
So you have all your windows and doors and whatever at, at the face to let the natural light in, and um, yeah, it works out really good. And in, in a nice underground home, you don't need any heating or cooling. Oh, wow. It's the same temperature all year round. That's fantastic, because how hot does it get in Cooper PD? Like, what, what's the top height temperature? Okay, this, this last summer, we recorded 53. Wow. That's, yeah. But inside the dugout, because the bedrooms are usually at the back of the dugout, and that's the coolest, and it, it sits on about 21 degrees. That's incredible. And so I'm assuming it, it being in the desert, it's, it gets pretty cool in the winter as well. Does that mean you don't need heating either? No heating, no cooling. You must do well bill-wise. You, you wouldn't be getting many bills being sent to you, I imagine. Yeah, that's right. We, we get uh, very low bills, you know, for our heating and, you know, because we've got no cooling and all that sort of thing. It's all natural. And we have a solar hot water system and, um, you know, that cuts out a lot of the power. So our bills are way down. Yeah, and it's quite sustainable as well. It's good for the environment to have that too. Yes, when you're used to living in an underground home, you don't hear any noise. It's nice and quiet. It's so cool. You sleep with a quilt on every night of the year and it's, it's so beautiful. I could not imagine living anywhere else. I wouldn't swap my underground home for any other home in Australia. There you are. That, that's great to hear. Do you ever, do you ever, when you go on holidays or leave Cooper PD, do you, what's it like when you're sleeping above ground? I can't sleep. <laughs> Is it too yeah, noisy, John? Every, everywhere you go, you hear traffic, you hear uh, birds and, you know, whatever else, even though I love birds. Yeah. But the noise is at five o'clock in the morning and, you know, in a motel unit or somewhere where you're staying, it's sort of, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. I'm used to it being nice and quiet. <laughs> and probably a lot darker as well, I would imagine. Yes, it is dark. Yeah. So what you do is you just have a couple of little small lights going, you know, just to show you where you're going to walk until you switch your light on. And um, it's beautiful. You get used to it and you wouldn't want to swap. Um, this The underground home that we live in has actually got 17 rooms. Wow. Yeah, and then I've got another three rooms separate that I use for working, like cutting opal, cleaning opal and all that sort of thing. And then I've got a, another, like a flat, all under the one main area. Yeah, so it's a big, big uh, underground home. It took me three years to build it. And it cured me completely. I don't want to ever build again. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, tell me, I read somewhere um, a Cooper PD resident was saying, maybe this is only in the old days, but when someone was pregnant, a few people might go over and blast out a new room for the incoming baby. Is that true? And if so, can people still just blast out a room whenever they want to? Well, they normally use tunnel machines now because you can't blast in the town area anymore. But I can imagine in the old days, you know, like 50, 60, 70 years ago, they would do that. So they'd use explosives? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they used to back in the old days. It sounds pretty rough and ready back then. <laughs> well, the town was pretty rough and ready, yeah. Um, some of the first dugouts that I built in Cupidi in 1968, 69... Yeah, I used all explosives. 
Wow. But we didn't ha- we didn't have anybody living close by. Our nearest neighbours was probably three four hundred metres away. So um, yeah, we used explosives to build them. But now the latest the latest is you know tunnelling machines. They just chomp the ground out and you suck it out with the joint vacuum cleaner, the blower, and just dumps the dirt out in the front. In the city, we're, we're all pretty used to um, complying with council regulations and permits and, you know, people can object if they want to. Do, do you guys need to get the same sort of permission if you want to use the tunnel machine? Yeah, we do now. You have to get permission from the council and you need to... Once you tunnel it all out, once you get the okay to tunnel it all out, then you have to have it inspected by a member of the Miners Association or an experienced miner just to tell you that the ground is okay, it's good, it's all good, and um, then you can finish it off. Yeah. But once you get all your support walls inside, you know, brick walls and divider walls, it's very safe. It's, It's a fabulous way to live. I mean, how far away are the average people? Like, do you, do you ever worry, are you going to, you know, tunnel into someone next door? Right, yeah, that's happened. <laughs> really? Yeah, there's a few people complained about other people tunnelling into their property, Uh-oh. and it has happened. But normally what you do is you drill your air shafts down, and uh, when you connect, you know where you are, you know, you, you know exactly where you are. And you've got to stay away from your boundaries at least a few metres Okay, and, so air know, shafts air shafts are how you actually get air and ventilation down there. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we do. We run a nine-inch air shaft in each of the rooms. They're all lined with a PVC pipe, so no dust or dirt or water or anything comes down. It's all sealed completely, and it works really well. So your home gets plenty of ventilation. You're listening to Somewhere Else, the podcast about people living in weird and wonderful ways. How did you find um, how did you find raising kids in the underground home? Oh, they loved it. They loved it. Once you used to live in underground, they all want to live underground. <laughs> and and my, I got a at the time when I built this place, I had a little five year old daughter, and because the last dugout I built was in ninety uh, three, that's when we moved in, and she wanted a cubby house, so I built her an underground cubby house with a window and door and power, and she had a TV in there. She had everything she wanted. You'd never and want to leave. I was, no, and while I was building it, I found I actually found $9,000 in there. <laughs> John. Wow. <laughs> are you, yeah, are you so just you lucky, go. or is that quite common to find every time you build a new room? No, well, I was lucky. This block of land that I, I bought back in the late 80s was on an old, old opal field, but right in the middle of the town. So that's why there was opal there. Yeah. John... But um, I'll just give you one idea. There's four kilometres of electric cable wiring in my underground home. Oh, wow. Four kilometres. That's it's unbelievable. And have you done that all yourself, John? I did all the tunnelling. Um, I was involved in that. And then uh, a lot of the, you know, ordering this, ordering that, organising this person. You have to have a registered builder to work, uh, to oversee it. So I had a plumber, I had a bricklayer, I had carpenters, everything. And it took three years to build. 
Uh, it cost me a fortune. It cost me everything I owned at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and if I had to build it today, you wouldn't have any change out of a million bucks. Wow. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because I'd, imag- but, I'd imagine is buying land in Cooper Pedy, is it is it cheap comparative compared to cities? Well, to find a really good dugout site, you could pay a hundred thousand bucks just for the land. Yeah. Okay. And then by the time you cut the face with bulldozers or excavators and dump trucks and whatever, there could be another forty or fifty thousand there. And then by the time you build your home, you can add another two, three hundred thousand. Yeah, so it's not as inexpensive as what people might think. If you buy an underground home that's already established and you know finished, uh, you can get a really good one from anywhere from two fifty to three hundred plus. And there's no way you can build that today for that sort of money. No way. Yeah. Even if you own the machines. So properties here at the moment are really, really good. Do you have many friends who live above ground in Coobapedi or does everyone live underground who you know? Uh, most people I know that live underground, but there is a few that live above ground. Uh, there is 60% of the people living underground in Coobapedi, so it's a little bit more than the 50% that you mentioned. Yeah. Yep. So about 60% are underground and um, they're the smart ones. You know why? <laughs> why? Why? I know some people living in homes that are, their power bills, you couldn't afford them. You know, 1400 1600 $1,700 a quarter. You can't. You can afford that. Yeah, that does seem outrageous. And that's purely in, so that's because of the, the, um, the air heating and cooling and the heating. Yeah, 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 exactly. If you're in an underground home here, I mean, in through the summertime, I mean, sometimes it doesn't get under, you know, 38 Celsius at night. Mm. So you, you're cooking in your house at night if you haven't got an air conditioner going. At night. And, John, you're a miner. Mm. Does that mean you're yep. – are, are you outside much during the day? I mostly do open-cut mining, so I'm in the sun all the time. So I start early in the morning and by the time it's – Lunchtime, one o'clock, I'm home in the summertime. It's too hot. Yeah. So in the wintertime, we try and catch up. We work longer hours, you know, and uh, it works well. Mm. Um, I'm getting a bit long in the tooth at the moment, you know. <laughs> so once I've done my four or five hours a day, that's enough for me. Yeah. You so- know, after 50, 53 years of mining. <laughs> so, uh, and I, but I tell you one thing, I wouldn't swap. Opal mining for any other job. Yeah, what do I you love lo- what do you love most about it? You've got that dream, you know. You got the dream of one day of finding a big one, and <laughs> I found it a few times over the years, and I'm due to find it again. Mm. And uh, it just sort of keeps you going. It keeps you. It keeps that drive there. That one day you're going to find it again. What does the, what no, does the big one mean? What what? How how big is a big one, and what sort of? Oh, I'm talking about a million bucks. Wow! You know, Jesus. Yeah, and you've got that dream that any day you could find a million dollars. Hmm. And you found and, it before? Yeah, a few times. Fantastic. Yeah, involved in partnerships, you know, so you don't get the whole amount. Yeah. But but in partnerships, yes, you can you can find it, and you can find it on your own. Matter of fact, right now I'm working on my own. I have been for the last few years. I own a 65-ton bulldozer and a 31-ton excavator. 
So I take off the top with the bulldozer, and when I think I'm close enough to reach with the excavator, then I just come in and start nibbling away at it until I find the opal. Once I find it, I dig it all out with a pick and shovel. And how, by hand. how do you know you've found one? I, mean, I imagine they're covered in dirt and things like that. How do you, how do you know? You can see it. Okay. Once you chip it a bit, you can see it. And, and you're following a level. The level could be six inches to a foot wide in thickness. And the opal can make, you know, bits and pieces along that level until it makes a pocket. You know, you'll find little bits of trace and then all of a sudden, bang, it'll open up and make a big pocket of opal. And if you're lucky enough to have full colour, you're talking big money, big money. Was opal, opal prices have never, ever been the best that it is at the moment. It's the last eight or nine years, opal prices just keep going up and up and up because we can't supply the overseas markets. Yeah, and is that mainly who it is? Is it overseas markets that are looking for opals or are they um, in Australia, within Australia? Within Australia, we've got a big demand for opal, mm-hmm. but China and India and America, they're the ones that buy the bulk of our opal in the rough. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you find rough opal and if, once the buyers know that you've got it, they'll come and knock your door down to buy it. Wow. It's, it's so big a demand. John, what's the social life like in Cooper Pedy? Back in the days when there was heaps of people here, you know, we had over 5,000 people living in Cooper in the late 70s and 80s and that. And we had the drive-in going six nights a week. We had three or four different clubs open. And the nightlife was really, you know, full on. But these days, you know, there's not so many people here. We've only got about... I think about three to three and a half thousand people in Cupidi and a lot of people don't want to go out and party anymore because <laughs> you can't drink, drive anymore, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you still want to go out and party? No, I never was a partier. I was always a homebody. Yeah, no, I, I used to go out to barbecues and stuff like that at friends' places. But yeah, no, nah, not to get drunk or anything like that. That's that's mm. not me. Does everyone know everyone in Cooper PD? I imagine it's a, a close-knit community. We used to. Back in the old days, even when there was more people here, we used to know most of the people. But now in the town there's a lot of government workers and uh, they only come in here and maybe stay a, a couple of years at the most and then shift. So you don't get to know a lot of those people. And Cooper is a, a really big tourist destination now because we're on the main road to Alice Springs and Darwin, you know. Yeah. And we're getting, we're getting uh, I think, a couple of hundred thousand people a year coming through here. And I imagine they want to come and see the dugouts for themselves. Yeah, the underground attractions here, we've got a couple of underground tourist mines that people can go in and they love it, you know, after they've done the tours. And at the moment, uh, we've got Lake Air filling up. Uh, it's going to be the fullest it's ever been for the last 45 years. And uh, the birds are all getting out there, the pelicans, and, uh, and the fish are breeding. Oh, it's unbelievable. It sounds beautiful. And, yeah. So, And we've had people coming in after they've done the flight over Lake Air, and they said it's look, it looks like you're looking at a giant mirror. So if you've got the isolated clouds above you, and you look down into the water, you can see the clouds in the water, 
and it gives you that feeling that you're flying upside down. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's really unusual. Yeah. So at the moment, uh, we're just getting heaps of people coming here that want to fly over Lake Eyre. So it's going to be a really good tourist season in Coopedy. And when you have tourists come, what do you think their biggest misconception is about living underground? Well, they think everybody lives underground for a start. And they think a lot. some of the tourists coming to Coopedy have said, we're a bit disappointed because all the shops are above ground. They should be all <laughs> underground. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people, uh, they don't understand um, you know, that, well, only half the, well, 60% of the people live underground. And most of the hills out of Coopedy, a few kilometres, they've got the underground homes in them because there's only so many hills in the township itself. And as you go further out, there's a lot of other hills that they've used for underground homes. But I have heard you have, is it five underground churches? Yeah, that's that's a possibility. Yeah, I'm. I yeah, I, yeah. I reckon it is five. There's a couple. Yeah, there's the original Catholic church not far from where we are here in the main street, and then we've got a big Serbian church, and then we've got a couple of others that are underground. Yeah, yeah, maybe five. Five churches. It seems like a lot. Well, there's a lot of different nationalities in Kupiti. You see. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, they've all got different religions. I've only got one religion. What's and that's the, op- <laughs> that's the Opal Goddess. I guessed it. <laughs> yeah, I pray to the Opal Goddess every day. <laughs> but for the last five years, she hasn't been listening. <laughs> well, John, it sounds like you're due for one. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, my time's just about due. <laughs> well, John, we always we always ask our guests, what do you think you've learned from living differently? I used to go to Sydney and Melbourne and sell my opal through the years, starting back way back in 1970. And I always thought to myself, how can people live in these cities? For me, any more than a dozen people, it's a crowd. And those cities like Melbourne and Sydney, oh, it's just the hustle and bustle. That's not living. That's not living. This is living, nice and peaceful, quiet. Well, you've definitely convinced us, John. I think at the beginning I thought I was a little claustrophobic about the whole thing, but I think now you've you've really sold it to Especially us. Especially with 17 rooms. Yeah, 17 yeah, rooms. Yeah, and they're big rooms and they're high ceilings too. Well, John, we, uh, we appreciate you for giving us a call from above ground and we don't blame you for wanting to head back down. No worries. <laughs> and whenever you come to Coopedy, Come and look me up. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to um, see your store and see your dugout. Thanks yep, so much, John. No John. worries. Thanks for joining okay, us. No worries, ladies. Thank you, Bye John. Bye for now. Bye. This has been Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Please remember to subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And tell your mum, send us to a friend. It's how we get the word out. We'll chat to you soon, somewhere else.